In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. of scripture that I have uh, held very close to my heart, uh, one of those that uh, that ought to be before all of our eyes, uh, one of those that you might want to keep in your pocket at all times, one that you might put in a glass case and have it say, break in case of emergency. And that is 1 John 3.20, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Uh, John was certainly acquainted with uh, a hard life. And in 1 John, he spends a lot of time talking about love and matters of the heart. And yet he says that there are circumstances uh, in life and in our fallen and broken world that just make life really hard. And there are going to be times when you feel like you are going to be completely overwhelmed uh, by what is going on around you. But in the midst of all of that, know that God is bigger than even your overwhelmed heart. Now, uh, St. John is not pulling any punches. He actually is talking about very specific instances in which your heart may be overwhelmed. And one of those is this command of the Lord Jesus to love one another. Now, that commandment, for me anyway, is a little bit harder than uh, I think it is. And intuitively, for some reason, we think that it's easier to love those who are near us than it is to love someone who is far away, whether that be our neighbor or whether that be even our enemy. Now, surely we are called uh, to love those people, and yet think about the standard by which we judge whether or not you love your neighbor. You know, I, I don't throw my garbage in their yard. I do unto them as I would have them do unto me. I, I get their mail when they're out of town. In fact, once uh, we had a neighbor and I was keeping an eye on the house, and uh, I texted him and said, everything's great at the house, but your cat looked cold and hungry, and so I let him in, and they frantically called back and said, I don't have a cat. Uh, so, uh, but by neighborly standards, uh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. In fact, what I find harder is loving people that I'm closest to. Uh, it's really easy to love uh, at arm's length. But when you find yourself in close proximity uh, with family and friends and you know one another through and through, uh, those superficial niceties are not going to cut it when it comes to love. In fact, you find, probably like me, that it's the people that I'm closest to that I also experience the deepest feelings of anguish, disappointment, disappointment. Spare, and yet God calls on us to love them. And it's a hard thing, even for those whom we know we ought to love. And so, in the midst of God's call on our life uh, to love uh, others, we find ourselves coming up short. Indeed, what does love look like? What does it look like to love somebody else? We've heard Jesus state the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in John's gospel, Jesus gives us the platinum rule. Greater love hath no man than this, 
but that he laid his life down for his friends. And he says here in 1 John, this is what love looks like, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, it's always great when I have a premarital couple in my study going through their premarital counseling. And of course, this theme of laying your life down for others is prevalent throughout the New Testament. And especially in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where Paul says, Husbands, you ought to lay down your lives for your wives as Christ died for the church. Now, that call is also for the uh, wives as well. And yet when I uh, ask them, are you willing to lay your life down for your spouse? You know, the women just, uh, without fail, very matter-of-factly say, well, of course, I, I love him. Uh, the men feel this urge to kind of go, I love them so much, I'd take a bullet for them, I would throw their bodies out of the way, and, and, and if it was a speeding train, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but the whole idea of laying one's life down for another person is actually much bigger than that. So in Luke's gospel, with the parable of the prodigal son, where the son goes to the father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. What I have coming to me when you die, I want it now. And Luke's, and Jesus says in Luke's gospel that the father then divided up, and the Greek word used is bios. So it literally reads that the father divided up his life. So a life is bigger than just our physical being, our breathing, and our hearts beating. And so I asked these couples, okay, so you'll lay your life down for the other one. You'll take the bullet. You'll step in front of the speeding train. Are you willing to set aside your dreams, your ambitions, your hopes for the other person? Now, just looking at the guys, they're like, let's talk about that train again. You know, what's going on with that bullet? Um, it's, it's the call is actually much greater. But of course, that's what Jesus does. We read in Philippians 2 that he empties himself and, quote, and considers equality with God something not to be grasped, but comes and dwells amongst us and dies on a cross, forfeiting all of his rights. He could have called down legions of angels. Uh, he could have uh, smote uh, those who persecuted him. But in complete deference to those of us who are often unlovable, his children, he sets aside his own rights because he loves us. And when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, when his love overwhelms you, one of the things that God does is he gives you a new heart. And all of a sudden, your eyes are opened to things that you'd never seen before. All of a sudden, you begin to care about a great number of things you never even thought twice about. Or if you did, it might have pricked your conscience for a little bit. Uh, but it didn't bother you. But now, all of a sudden, things start to stick with you. Certain injustices. God, indeed, as he says in verse 17 here, he doesn't close our hearts, but he opens our hearts. Some statistics that I was looking at just this week, 27% of children in the state of Alabama live below the poverty line. 71% of children in Alabama in poverty live with just one parent. Almost half of all black children in Alabama live below the poverty line. The International Labor Organization estimates that there are 20.9 million victims of human trafficking globally. 
a modern-day slavery. According to the National Runaway Hotline, one in three teens on the street will be lured toward prostitution within 48 hours of leaving home. And the average age of entry into prostitution for a child victim in the United States is just over 13 years old. You can no longer just stand aside when you see this broken and fallen world because God has now given you a heart that wants to reach out. But the craziness of it is the more you reach out and the more you get involved, the more you find your heart being overwhelmed. You think, what difference could I possibly make in this sea of madness that is the world? And when we see Christians getting beheaded on the Mediterranean shores of Libya, it's not just some political issue that's going on far off. If it feels personal to you, it ought to. Because they're dying for the same faith that you have within yourselves. And so our hearts cry out because they are overwhelmed. Now these are big issues. Huge issues. And even Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And they are rightfully overwhelming. You know what else I find overwhelming? Everyday life. Job, marriage, relationships, children, or simply a feeling of inadequacy and anxiety in life. It's just all so overwhelming sometimes. But for most of us, those problems get resolved. God intervenes. Our marriage gets back on track. We switch jobs. Our child comes home. But what about those of us who have really experienced a tragedy, a significant loss? And the truth of the matter is that sometimes we don't see a resolution by God's hand in our own lifetime. But it actually takes us crossing the River Jordan into heaven before we see God's hand in what seemed like God's absence in our own lives. The hymn uh, we just sung, uh, Abide With Me, is a wonderful hymn. It was written by a man named Henry Light in the, in the 19th century. And Henry Light, uh, as a young man, his father left, uh, he and his family, uh, in order to take up with uh, another woman. And uh, while uh, he was left with his mother, his mother worked so hard to provide for the family in 18th century, late 18th, early 19th century England, uh, that she succumbed to illness and she died. And Henry was left parentless. Uh, his father provided just enough money for him to go off to school. But when Henry Light's father would write to him at school, he would never sign, love your father. He would always write his own son and sign it, your uncle. Henry Light's father never allowed, him to e allowed his son to even call him dad. And so Henry Light had every reason to grow up bitter, uh, estranged, uh, antagonistic toward the faith. And yet every single one of his hymns, there's a powerful notion of the fatherhood of God, uh, of God's great love for him. But the hymn we've just sung, if you really look at the words, you can still feel Light's angst. 
You can hear the pain between the lines. There's a sense of melancholy in it. You can hear his voice saying, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief because my heart is prone to being overwhelmed. Hold your cross before my closing eyes and point me in the right direction. Let my heart rest in you. Let me focus on you. And one of my favorites, William Cooper, the great hymn writer, he too was no stranger to affliction, struggling his whole life with depression, often being institutionalized. And he has this very strange, bittersweet line in his famous hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. He says this, he says, Behind the frown of providence, God hides His smiling face. Behind the frown of providence, God hides his smiling face in acknowledgement that this is bad and my heart is overwhelmed and I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And day in and day out, this is what I live with and it feels like my heart might explode. And yet John tells us that we can have confidence in God. The same confidence that Cooper has, the same confidence that light has, the same confidence that's been given to you who has a new heart. And how do we have this confidence? John says, if you follow these commandments. Now, at first glance, that makes my heart sink a little bit. What do you mean if I follow these commandments? Because what I found in my own life is that when my heart overwhelms me, the last person I need to be in charge is me. But John answers his own question. What are these commandments that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another? Which, of course, loving one another is the Spirit's work within you. It's because God has given you a new heart. It's God that makes you love one another. It's not you in and of yourself. And so the commandment of God are those things that have been done on your behalf outside of you and given to you. Lord, I believe on you. Help me in my unbelief. When do our hearts condemn us? When are we overwhelmed by our inability to deal with what is in front of us, even in our everyday life? What is it that pushes us over the edge? Reach into your pockets. Read your bathroom mirrors. Break the glass in case of emergency. And read that whenever your heart condemns you, God is greater than even your heart, and he knows everything. Amen.